while we're um, transitioning, one of the things in Celtic, Celtic Christian spirituality is the in-between moments. This is an in-between moment. And while we're doing that, I'm going to um, push out a, a few of our books from our church merch store up there. These are from the $5 table. Um, they're $5 each or two for 15. It's a really sweet deal tonight. Um, oh, thank you. You, you. There's some math people in the room. That's good. Uh, five, this, this first one is called Unlearning God. It's by Philip Gully. Did some, any of you uh, join me on a Zoom interview with him back in the falls? I see Rose did, a couple other folks did. Uh, he's just, he's a great author. He's really fun in person as well. Um, this is one of the best books uh, that I've, I've read in the last year. I highly re recommend it uh, for you. Unlearning God, it, it, the, How Unbelieving Helped Me Believe. It sounds like a first community book, if there ever was one. Some of you have uh, pr probably recall when Marcus Borg spoke here years ago. He preached on Palm Sunday as well. Uh, one of the best sermons I I've ever heard. Dick Wang sent me a copy of it when he preached here. Uh, this is his book, The Heart of Christianity. Uh, if you really want to get a, an understanding of a, of a progressive Christian uh, view of what Christianity is, I'd highly recommend Marcus's book. It's, it's highly readable. It's, it's not scholarly um, uh, language. It comes from a very scholarly base, but it's, it's really an outstanding book. Again, these are all from the $5 table. <clears throat> Have I ever mentioned my friend Adam Hamilton before? Has that name come up before? He's written a few books. I think he's written more books uh, than I've taken breaths. Um, but this is a book on Moses, and if you're, if you're in a leadership position uh, in the community in some way, in your, or, in your organization, your job, your professional or personal life, this is a great book because there's a ton of leadership insights that come from, from the life of Moses, and again, it's only, it's only $5. <clears throat> and then Jason Barger, who's a member of our church, he's going to be speaking at the Deep Gria Banquet coming up in a couple of Saturdays. Uh, he wrote this book several years ago, Step Back from the Baggage Claim. Uh, we have a number of these copies here as well, so we're, we just marked that one down to $5. All, so again, all these books are on the $5 table, and Shelly is over there. If there's anyone that might be interested in buying a book later tonight after the study's over, she, you, she'll, she'll meet you up there on the, in the church merch store. And of course, there's other things. There's Akita t-shirts and heart-to-heart stuff, and, and, and all, the, all, the money that you, all the money you spend in the church merch store goes either to our operating funds or to individual ministries within the church, depending on where the books came from or where the clothes come from. So just, just wanted you to know that. All right, that's, that's the uh, end of the, um, uh, of the, of the sales. Um, where, where are we? We're, we're right on time to start. And we are, hello everybody who's watching online. I know it comes out about a week later, but we're glad that you've, you've joined us and we're looking forward to sharing this with you on this evening as well. All right, um, let's go to the next slide. I'd like, I'd like for you to uh, have a conversation at your tables tonight, and maybe some of you can join in a couple of other tables so you have somebody to talk with. And I want you to talk about this. I mentioned that we're in, in between times a moment ago. That's really one of the, the primary topics of tonight as we look at, at the life of the sacred feminine, St. Bridget of Kildare. But before we get to that, I want to find out, uh, and you find out from each other, uh, a time in your life when you found yourself in between, waiting to move uh, to a, stuck or waiting to move from one place to, a, to another. Um, for, for example, not that I know this personally, but I know someone personally who went through this. If you're pregnant, um, you're, you're, the baby's here but not here yet, right? That's sort of an in-between time. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the, um, uh, how the universe, the womb of the universe, is constantly giving birth to new things and new creations. That will come later, later tonight. But so right now at your tables, just whoever wants to go first can talk about a time. Make sure everybody gets a chance to talk. Whoops, there it is. Make sure everybody has a chance to share about a time you were in between or stuck and waiting for something new to arrive. Maybe, maybe sort of like if you're walking through the threshold of your house, one foot's outside and one foot's still in the house. You're not in either place yet. That's, that's the idea, okay? Go. For those of you watching online, uh, if you want to share a story on Facebook or on YouTube in the comment section about a time you were stuck, uh, when you felt like you were in between and unable to uh, move uh, for whatever reason, uh, maybe positive reasons, maybe sad reasons, share that online. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.
be sure everybody gets a chance to share. Two more minutes, two more minutes. One more minute. All right, Stuart, I'm going to move around a little bit if you want to try to catch up to me. Let's, um, let's see. I, I sound like good conversations were going on. Is there anyone who'd like to share? Don't share someone else's story, but share your own. And the, typically what we do is one person on this side shares, and then I have to go all the way to this side, to the other side. So please don't do that. No, that's fine. Anyone who'd like to share um, an in-between time in your life? Just raise your hand. Here we go. Well, about three years ago, I decided I wanted to have weight loss surgery, and so I did all of the pre-work and counseling and everything and started losing some of the weight, and then because of COVID, I couldn't get my surgery done, so I had to wait probably about three or four months after I'd finished the pre-work before I could actually have the surgery. So you were truly an in-between time. COVID, COVID sort of felt like that, didn't it? Um, Sometimes, sometimes uh, we, in Celtic wisdom, they think of these in-between times as liminal places or sacred spaces. Um, COVID didn't feel very sacred to me, but, but um, that's, that's uh, uh, thank you for sharing that very much. Another, another story. Somebody else. Way back over here. Yeah, okay. In my teens and 20s, I felt in a really in-between space being raised evangelical, and you're told, like, if you're gay, you either have to choose to be 
with God or with, quote unquote, the world. And so I spent a great deal of my life in that in-between space, not knowing where to go. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Powerful. Somebody else. Of course, it's the other side of the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, it dawned on me pretty quickly that the place where I was really felt in between stuck waiting to move was that four to five month period of time between when I got my orders to Vietnam and when I left for Vietnam. It was a period of a lot of anxiety, wondering. I, I mean, I wasn't really for what we were doing over there to begin with and then I have to go over there and not just knowing what I was getting myself into. And thank, thank you, Doug, for sharing that. Yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine. I get anxious just hearing people tell stories like that. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Those were great. Anybody else? One more. Okay. In, in many ways, um, these in-between times can be uh, holy wrestlings. They can be moments when, when we're really wrestling with something. And may, oftentimes, we'll get to this a little bit later, that wrestling period is something new trying to be born in you. If you know the story of, of, um, of, of Jacob in the Old, Old Testament uh, who wrestles with God, uh, but it happens in the middle of the night. It's sort of this in-between time. It's, it's between, uh, Doug, you made me think of this. Um, he's about to meet, meet, con be confronted by his brother, who he's wronged throughout his life. And, and it's coming up, and he spends the night wrestling with God because really something new is going to be born in him. And he ends up walking with a limp, but he considers it a blessing because it's a reminder that he wrestled with God and survived. Um, so even, even sometimes wounds can have a sacredness to them that remind us of, of these times in our life. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let's, let's uh, get into the, the sacred feminine and put that next slide up uh, and looking at the, the life of St. Bridget of Kildare. Uh, how many folks in the room have been to Ireland or Scotland, either or? You might have run into some St. Bridget uh, places and things, and, and uh, in fact, I'll bring, I'll bring some of those up uh, here, here in a moment. But let me tell you a little bit about her. First of all, remember, remember last week we looked at Pelagius, and, and if you really want to dive deeper into this study, I highly recommend John Philip Newell's book, um, sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. That's where I'm getting uh, most of the material that I'm using this night on, on these uh, studies and occasionally adding my own, my own stuff in. Uh, the sacred feminine is an important uh, idea and ideal for us uh, in this moment in history, especially given the fact that, that and I'll, this is coming up a little bit later too, but especially given the fact that there seems to be um, some thrashing around and and almost violent reaction to uh, men no longer being in control. Um, there, there's, it seems like there's a, that there's there's been a rise in patriarchy in in especially in our land and in our, in our country. And I, I think Newell says this: we really need this spirit of Bridget to remind us that both the masculine and the feminine make up the sacred holy. That it's not one or the other, or one is higher than the other, or more important than the other, but it's almost like the yin and the yang symbol. You know, they, they are, they are co-equals, uh, co-opposites that work, work together as a part of the sacredness of, of all the, of the universe itself. Um, this is uh, something that Western Christianity has wrestled with for about 1,600 years. Uh, Eastern Christianity, which would be more the Eastern Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church, uh, some of the churches in Africa, Northern Africa, uh, embrace the feminine, very much so. But Western Christianity has been very afraid of it. I, I remember a time, um, I, I think I told this story in a sermon, when I was serving uh, at my church in San Francisco as the summer college intern in the summer of 1977. I was 18 years old, and I knew a lot. Um, but I did, I, did do, I did one thing impromptu. We ran something called Summer Fun in the City. It was for kids uh, from mostly low-income families who were on the school lunch programs September through June. But in the summer, they obviously were on school lunch. And so uh, we got government money, funded, government-funded food to be able to uh, feed these kids breakfast and lunch as long as we offered a program. And it could be a religious program. So we did Summer Fun in the City. And uh, this particular week was for all the kids from kindergarten through sixth grade we were studying the Lord's Prayer. And I had the, I had the fifth and sixth grade class, I had about 15, 20 kids in this class, along with one of my coworkers. And we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, and this one little boy just raised his hand and said, I'm not going to say our father. My father left us when I was four years old. We don't have any money. We sleep in a terrible place. I'm not going to pray to my father. And so I said, I understand that, I think. What if you would pray to your mother? My mother is beautiful, and she loves me. 
then let's, let's change the words today to, to honor that. I told that to my dad, thinking that was a really cool idea. He told me that I'm a heathen and that, that we're worshiping goddesses when we pray to our mother. And now, now let me be clear. My dad had some interesting stories in his life. He was very conservative evangelical in the 60s and 70s, um, but also loved Martin Luther King and quoted Martin Luther King and sometimes got pushed out of churches he was serving because he was too radical for quoting that communist, as you can imagine some, some people might have said back in the 60s. So he's a mixed bag. My dad's theology changed tremendously, especially after he, went, he got clean, which is, uh, again, another story. But I heard that sort of thing all the time growing up. That, 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 that women, not only are women subservient to men and, and men must be in charge, but that, that any idea of a feminine nature of God was a heathen, pagan, terrible, e evil thing. St. Bridget is really somebody that helps us uh, see the balance that needs to be there as a part of our understanding of, of, of the nature of the universe itself. All right, um, let's go to the next picture. Uh, I'm sorry, that's a little bit, so for those of you in the back there, you can probably see that one on, on the back screen a little, a little better. Um, I'll, I'll explain this in, in just a moment. There's a legend <clears throat> that St. Bridget was a barmaid at the inn of Bethlehem when Joseph and Mary came to give birth to Jesus. Now, St. Bridget lived in the 400s and 500s, but the legend is that she could go back in time and that she could, she could be there. That's, in fact, what this painting is. This is a painting that hangs in the uh, National Gallery uh, in Edinburgh, Scotland. These are two angels who are carrying St. Bridget. You can see her, see her, do you see her long golden hair? It's one of the things she's famous for. They're carrying her from the Isle of Iona on the lower right-hand co corner of the, of the, of the uh, painting, uh, right, right between the, the two angels' feet, the, the, the feet of the two angels. One angel is pointing down, the other one's kind of at an angle. Can you look there and see the outline of a church? That's the abbey uh, on, the, on the Isle of, of Iona. They're carrying her from the Isle of Iona, which is off the coast of Scotland, and was a sacred place long before Christians made it sacred. It was considered to be a sacred place. They're carrying her to Bethlehem so she can be there and serve when the Christ child is, is born. And so the legend is that she becomes a barmaid at the inn of Bethlehem. And she's given strict instructions by the owner of the inn that she's not to let anybody else in because they're full. There's no room in the inn. You've heard this before, right? There's no room in the inn. In fact, it's a time of famine and scarcity in the land. And because of that, there's very little food to share. All she has for the day is a, is a small loaf of bread that would fit in your hand and a little bit of water. Well, she sees a couple coming up to the, to the door of the, of the bar. It's a very old man and an unbelievably beautiful woman who's clearly with child. They ask if they can stay in, in the room. Uh, she says, I'm sorry, I can't let you stay in, in, the, in the inn. There's no room here. Um, uh, we're hungry. Can you help us with some food? She shares a little bit of food that she has. She gives away her food for the day to this couple who's, uh, whose wife, who the woman is about to, to uh, give birth to a baby, and she shares her water. That's all she had for the day. They, they go on, and she sees them walking towards the barn where the animals are kept. Not long after that, there's this brilliant, beautiful light that's emanating from the barn. She goes over to see what's, what's happening, and, and this glow has filled, has filled the entire room, and she realizes that, that the beautiful woman is now uh, laying on her back, giving birth to, this, to the child. Well, uh, Bridget gets on her knees, her hands and knees, and becomes the midwife that brings the Christ child in, into the world. Then, when the child is, is safe and, and wrapped up in swaddling clothes, as Luke says, she goes back to the, to the bar, and her, her um, bread has been replaced, and her cup of water that was given away is now full, and she had no idea how, how that happened. It's a beautiful story. Um, uh, uh, it's a legend. In fact, we don't really know much about St. Bridget's actual life because there are so many legends and myths that, that uh, tell, tell about her. We don't really know m most of the details. We have to pick through the myths to kind of get some of the, some of the facts. Um, by the way, I mentioned Iona uh, was sacred long before uh, the Christians were there. Uh, according to John Philip Newell, it dates back to 4500 B.C., or maybe somewhere in that, pe in that period. The, the, what's it called? The megalithic period? Did I say it right? I think that's it. Um, the Stone Age. 
And sometime between 4,000 and 1,500, there were people on the Isle of Iona, off, this, off the um, uh, coast of Scotland, who believed that was a sacred liminal place, an in-between place where, where sea and sky met, where sun and moon met, etc. Et uh, a very fascinating thing. Um, let's, say, let's say a little bit more about who St. Bridget is. I want to put another picture up there. Go to the next one. This is a by, uh, don't you like that it's a, a phone shop? Uh, this is a, a, an artist from uh, Ireland who paints murals on buildings. And that's a, this is a store, I guess, where you go to get your next iPhone. Um, the, uh, the legend of Bridget goes back to pre-Christian times. She was, she was a goddess, a, druid, a druidic goddess. And she was the goddess of poetry, of fertility, and, and uh, of, of smith work. Um, she, was, she was one who was, uh, uh, and, and of healing, she was one whose name was invoked by druids when you were uh, uh, giving birth, when you were wanting to have children, her name would be brought up. And you can see, so on the left-hand side, um, uh, on the right-hand side, uh, as we're looking at it, that's, that's um, um, Bridget, the goddess. On the left-hand side, we see uh, Saint Bridget, who really uh, it morphs from this goddess-like person in Druidic understanding into a Christian saint uh, who was the head of an abbey, and, and, and there really was in history somebody called Bridget who was the head of an abbey. And so kind of what happened was her story sort of was combined with the story of this goddess to become uh, a, a well-loved and, and amazing character in in, in, especially in Ireland, in, in Scotland as, as, as well. And here's a couple of things that are, that are famous about her, and you can see where um, she would line up so well with Christian uh, history and, and Christian thought. She cared deeply for the poor. Uh, there's several stories, legends, maybe myths, about her um, going to her father and saying, I need food, there's some hungry people there. And her father says no, and she takes it anyway and, and gives it to them. Um, there's a really wonderful story about her going to the king and telling the king, there are too many poor people in our land who have nowhere to live. Would you please give them some land so they, they can build shelters and have fresh water and, and a place to, to live like, like, like real human beings? The king refuses. And she comes back and she, she comes back to him a few days later and says, well, what if I, I spread my cloak? However, however far my cloak goes, will you give them that land? And he looked on her back and her cloak's maybe three feet long and a couple of feet wide. He said, sure, fine. She calls four friends over. She takes off her cloak. Each of the friends takes one of the corners of the cloak, and they stretch it out to about 100 acres. And the king is amused. He thinks it's, it's, he's, he's been tricked, but he thinks it's a marvelous trick. And, and he gives the 150 acres or whatever it was uh, for, the, for, the, for the poor folks in their village to have a, to have a place to live. Um, when you think of that, or like when I think of that, let me ask you, when you hear stories like that, does it remind you of any of Jesus' teachings? And which ones? Anything come to mind? Loaf and the fishes, exactly. That's one. There's more. What else? Jesus takes just a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread and feeds 5,000 people. Any other stories? Say again? The water into wine, yes. My favorite miracle in the Bible, yes. <clears throat> Have you seen that, that post that goes around on Facebook of, of somebody's labeled the, the wine section water and, and the, the post at the bottom, the line at the bottom says, uh-oh, Jesus was here. Um, yeah, so like Matthew 25, the parable of sheep and goats, when you've done it the least of these, you've, you've done it unto me. You can see how easy it was for Christians to, to kind of uh, uh, um, glom on to Bridget's history as a goddess and the legends and the myths that were there and, and uh, uh, kind of Christianize her. Uh, somewhat. All right. Now, let's go to the next next slide. According to legend, Bridget's mother gave birth to her neither within the house uh, nor outside, but on the threshold. And, and that's, that legend helps us understand who she is. She is that, that saint, uh, that goddess, that, that one, that holy one, um, who is understood to be the, the goddess of in-between times, uh, the goddess who helps you birth something new. Um, and w whether you're a woman who's having a child or maybe uh, who, like for Doug, that in-between time and the, and the in-between time on the, wanting the, the weight loss surgery and having to wait. And uh, Edward, I think it was your story of, of um, wrestling with your identity and who you are and being told that you're not who you are and, and that sort of being stuck in that in-between time. The, uh, the Irish and the Scots 
who, who um, understands St. Bridget would say to all of you, you know, it, Bridget was with you in those moments. She was there helping birth something new. So it, it may not necessarily be a positive, upbeat, oh, I was in this sacred space. It may feel awful, but the promise is that sometimes in those in-between spaces, that's, that's where God is, is doing, doing the most work. Um, so it really, it really signals that Bridget's going to be in those, in those places that are, that are opposites, uh, like night and day, sun and moon. Um, dark and dusk are, this timing worked out really good, dark, I mean dawn and dusk are considered liminal moments. It's neither light nor day. In fact, I looked it up today to see what time the sunset is. Do you know what time it is? Six, 622. 622, which is about, almost about right where we are. We're in that space, that momentary liminal space where it's neither light nor, nor dark. It's neither day nor, nor night. Um, and so really a, a liminal space uh, can be uh, uh, anywhere between past and present, between what was and what is yet, yet to come. Okay, next slide. So we're going to look at four things here tonight. Um, about, about St. Bridget, uh, for, for thresholds or liminalities, the doorway between pre-Christian and Christian, uh, the portal between, remember I said that this, her legend goes way back to a thousand years, 15, at least 1,500 years before Jesus, the portal between the divine and, and the human, the relationship between humanity and earth, and the liminality between the womb and birth. Doorway, portal, relationship, and liminality are, are really all synonymous with the word threshold. I mean, number four is a typo. It's my mistake. The liminality between the womb of the universe was supposed to be in there. There's something, what's something that's being born uh, uh, of the universe? What's the universe trying, trying to do? Newell believes the universe right now is trying to bring something new into our world. And that's why there's so much fighting and anger and frustration. Because when something's happening that some people don't want change, boy, they thrash about even more. He's convinced, as I am, that the change is going to happen. And we need people like all y'all. Uh, to stand up and, and, and continue to birth this new thing. Okay, so let's go to the first one. Next slide. The doorway between pre-Christian and, and Christian. Uh, the legend of, of, of Bridget being at the birth of Christ really fits this idea that, that she was there helping to birth this new religion, this new faith, this new understanding, that she was carried there by angels from, from Iona to be there with, uh, with, with um, uh, Joseph and Mary and, and the newborn babe. Uh, it's said by legend that Bridget's mother was a Christian. Her father was a Druid. I don't suppose too many of you have studied Druid uh, theology or thinking. Um, uh, it's all new to me, too. I'm having fun with this stuff. So let me show you what, what, what the Druid... Oh, oh, oh. it's also... Uh, and historically, they, there's belief that this is, this is a fact, that she, during her lifetime, uh, in the 400s and 500s, was the leader of a Druidic community, community uh, in... Uh, uh, Holy Oak Leinster. Oaks represent Druidic theology. Um, and they represent that, that, that uh, symbol of being two places at the same time. Uh, think of an oak tree with huge, broad leaves and branches that climb very, very high. And what kind of root system do they have? One that's very extensive, very deep, goes deep, deep into the earth. So the symbol for the Druids is the oak tree because it represents both, both heaven or sky and earth. Um, and that's a, that's a symbol for, for St. Bridget herself. And so it, it really helps us see the, the combination between uh, Druid, the Druidic love of the earth and the Christian uh, love of heaven. Next, next slide, please. This is a, a cross that is sometimes called St. Bridget's Cross or the Irish Cross. Anybody ever seen one of these in Ireland on your travels? Um, we're going there this summer. Sorry, we're full. Um, if you want to sign up. I, or maybe we have one spot left. Do we, uh, we have one spot left, yes. Julie knows more than me, always. Um, I'm going to buy one of these when, when, we, when we get there. Um, uh, by the way, this traces back hundreds of years, maybe even a couple of thousand years before uh, St. Bridget's time in, in Ireland uh, and can be seen in many other cultures around the world. A fascinating um, backstory to this, to this Irish cross. Um, but the, the legend about it is that Bridget heard there was a young Irish prince who was dying of a terrible disease, was frightened of death, 
was very worried about what was going to happen and, and needed some comfort. So she came to see him in his home and, and decided to share with him the story of Christ. He was not a Christian. He had never heard the story of Christ. And so she, she told him the story. And as a way of illustrating her story, she found some straw on the floor and she wove it into this shape to symbolize the cross, the cross of Jesus while, while she's telling the story of Jesus and his life. The legend says that, uh, that he, he, after she prayed for him, he had a, uh, a sense of, of being mentally and, and emotionally healed and, and died a very quiet and much more peaceful, peaceful death. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful symbol in, in more than just the story that you, you can see in some ways, does, does it have for you a sense of, of rotation, of, of, of movement? Uh, can, you, can you imagine maybe there is a sunrise emerging there? This is, these are the rays of, of the sun rising, or these are the rays of the sunset um, as the sun is descending beneath the, beneath the horizon. Um, it's, it's really a, a beautiful and, and uh, marvelous thing. Um, I'm going to get to this a little bit later, but one of the places where you'll see this in Ireland and Scotland a lot is on barns. Does anybody know why? Well, good, I'll tell you later. Uh, that, that's that's going to come up. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, I love this quote from uh, John Philip Newell's book. St. Bridget is a model uh, for us of standing in the doorway between the wisdom of our spiritual tradition and the wisdom of traditions that have gone before or alongside us. If, if, if you could find a quote in any book anywhere that more aptly describes First Community Church, get it to me, because I think this is awesome. This is who we are. We're not afraid of truth, of Muslim truth or Buddhist truth or an atheist speak, who might speak something true to us, even though we would disagree. Um, we're not afraid of truth. And this is really the idea that we're, we, wanna, we want to stand in the doorway between our own spiritual tradition and the wisdom of traditions um, that, that exist around the world, which is really a, a great idea for um, uh, understanding who, who St. Bridget is. And let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, in 2006, I led a, a mission team of 15 people to South Africa. Uh, it was really an exploratory trip. We, we, we partnered with the United Church of South, South Africa, which is a cousin of the United Church of Christ in the United States, and, and worked with pastors there to look at possible things that we might partner with them on. Uh, we ended up by um, uh, almost on the last, second to last day of our mission, deciding that we would uh, help build an AIDS hospice. It's a great story. But earlier in that trip, we went to this United Church of South Africa called Naps Hope Church in Naps Hope Village. It's this remote village about a three-hour drive from East London where we, where we were uh, camped out. And, and uh, uh, we, got, we, got, we had to leave early in the morning to get there in time for the 9 o'clock service, which would conclude at 1230. Um, and it, the little church was about this, no, no, not even, from the stage to about here and about as deep as it is here. And they had to have, they had to have 300 people just jammed in there. It was 147 degrees, very humid. And because the, the tradition of that church is the pastor wears a collar, I had to wear a, a priestly collar that was about a half inch too small. And and I, I, I'm pretty sure the purple is permanently stained. It was a purple uh, a shirt, which is the, the color that priests often wear in, in, um, in, in South Africa. But it was an amazing experience. Uh, uh, I think I've told you this. I, 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 um, I gave a sermon. It was my first ever time to give a sermon in a foreign land where I needed a translator. And the pastor was translating for me, Pastor Cody. He was awesome. But I'm about a third of the way through my sermon. And all of a sudden, also the women sat on one side, the men sat on the other. That was part of their tradition. All of a sudden, all the women stand up, and they got these little drums in their hands, and they start beating their drums and singing and just dancing back and forth and singing. And I said to the pastor, what is going on? He said, when the sermon is boring, they dance and sing. <laughs> and then he said in a loud voice, you have one more chance. They didn't sing again. I'll just say, I'll just say that much. <clears throat> then something really cool at the end happened. And I wish I could remember the Kosa name for this person. We used to foolishly call them witch doctors. Um, that's, that's a derisive term. They were really the holy person for the village. And what had happened in this village was, uh, I can't remember the right, the right term, the, this holy man um, had, been, had been brought into the, the church, had become a Christian, but he still practiced prophesying. 
And, and the, the, the missionaries had warned me that this was going to happen. And we kind of wanted to watch the, the other 14 people from our team see how they freaked out. Because he, he, came, he was going to come in dressed in what was like a, a short little skirt with some uh, grassy uh, um, extensions from his skirt. No, nothing on his, on his uh, no shirt or anything on his top other than some uh, armbands and things. And then this uh, spectacular headdress. Uh, that was full of bones and all kinds of other things and, and, and totally barefoot except for some ankle uh, things on both both ankles. I don't know what you call them. Um, and he came in the back. He was just really super loud, and he, and he, but he spoke in Kosa. I didn't understand anything he was saying. But, it, but the pastor was translating for me, you are the people of God. You are love, much loved, and you are called to, and it was just, he just did this whole big thing. It's one of the coolest deals I've ever seen in my life. And it was much of what John Philip Mill is talking about here. They took the best of his tradition and brought it in as a part of their new faith tradition. It's the sort of thing that the church that Edward and I grew up in would have said was an abomination. But it, like I said, it was just a, a, a beautiful moment of worship. And we were three hours in by the time he got there. So we did need a little bit of energy and, and boost uh, in, in the room. All right, let's go to, um, I think, yeah, let's go to the next, next slide. All right, this is the, uh, the second of our four that we're going to look at tonight. The portal between the divine and, and the human. Um, St. Bridget wants to point out to us that the intermingling of the divine and the human is found in every one of us. That we carry within us the mark of God. That you, you act at, at your, moment, uh, your moment of being created, when you, when you began to exist, you already carried the mark of God. What, what did, what, and then again, that lines up with, with, with uh, some of our biblical theology. What does God say, or what does the author of Genesis say that God says at the end of the sixth day after humans have been created? Days one, two, three, four, and five, God looked at what God had made, and it was good. Day six, after making humans, God looked out and said, very good, very good. We carry within us that divine spark. Part of the problem that happens in our world is when we try to ignore that spark or we try to push it down or we try to separate ourselves from it or we're told by our religion that you're a bad person. This is the doctrine of original sin. You're a bad person and you've you got you to gotta give your life to Jesus or you're going to burn, burn in hell. Um, that in many ways, in my, in my view, almost always is antithetical to who, who we are as, as Christian folks. Um, uh, the, this, this is one of the reasons why uh, she is so, uh, Bridget is so loved by Celtic Christians, uh, that she really stands. Uh, she's sometimes called the foster mother of Jesus because she was there in that legend and, and gave birth to him. But she's really the one who identifies the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine and sees us together as, as illustrating. Uh, remember, God created male and female, and, and they, were the, they carried the image of God. Anyone who's created carries the image, image of God. Of, of God, uh, certainly for sure. Um, so I, I wanna, now I want you to see this prayer. That's the next slide. Um, Celtic Christians sometimes honor Bridget more so than Mary. You know, in the Roman church, it's, it's a practice to pray to Mary. It's not something I, I've, I've done much in my life at all. In fact, I was taught that it was wrong when I was a kid growing up, and that's why, one of the reasons why Catholics were going to hell. Um, Plus, it's unfair that they have a football team that can recruit all over the country from Roman Catholic high schools. That's my dad talking. Um, in in, in um, Celtic Christianity, there's this idea that we are constantly in the spirit of God and with God and a part of God and that God is with us at, at all times. And so this prayer is developed as one that comes from St. Bridget. I lay down this night with God and God will lie down with me. I lie down this night with Christ, and Christ will lie down with me. I lie down this night with the Spirit, and the Spirit will lie down with me. God and Christ and the Spirit be lying down with me. It really speaks to the sacredness of intimacy. Um, again, the Western church is afraid of these kinds of ideas because if we talk about intimacy, the next thing you know, everyone's going to be having sex, and we're going to have a problem going, and that's, that's terrible. Now, intimacy does not, is not synonymous. Thank you for laughing. That was a joke. Intimacy is not synonymous with sexuality, no. But certainly sexuality can be uh, an, an intimate moment. It can also be uh, an abusive one, as, 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 you, as you know. But the Western church has been frightened of this for, for centuries. Um, 
and what I'm reminded while I was working on my notes today that I heard Scott Peck years ago give a lecture, and this is this is a little bit of an aside, but I think it helps us understand this. Give a lecture on on the sacredness of spirituality and sexuality, and he said they're basically walking down the same side of the street, holding hands. That a healthy sexuality and a healthy spirituality share some of the same common characteristics. I'm not, I think, Julie, I was in my 30s when I heard this lecture. We'd been through some great help in, in um, therapy, and, and it was just like, it was like, just kind of blew my mind out. But think about it. If, if you suppress a person's sexuality and desire for intimacy, there's going to be problems, not always, but it can create a situation where that person misbehaves, and, and, and especially around sexuality. If you look at the way the church has, has been frightened by that so much. In fact, I was taught in junior high. I don't, any of you who maybe grew up in a more conservative uh, church background, I was taught in junior high the only reason for having sex was to make babies. It was not for pleasure. It was not for fun. And I, I remember thinking about my youth minister, John Alley, and his wife, Lynn, and seeing them, you know, kissing and embracing and holding, and it, I just thought, I think you guys are having more fun than you're admitting, because this is... <laughs> What I've seen you guys doing and what you're telling us is just, is just crazy. Um, <clears throat> what, this, what this points to is in those intimate friendships, in those intimate moments in our lives where, and again, I'm not, I'm not using it as, as synonymous with sexuality, in those intimate moments, what St. Bridget presents is there is the presence of God. There is the presence of Christ. There is the presence of of, of the spirit. All right, let's go to the next one. The relationship between humanity and, and earth. Um, St. Bridget's feast day is February 1. That's the day uh, legend says she was born, and the legend says she died on the same day, fe February 1. Um, it's, it's, again, a blending of religions because uh, the, the pre-Christian uh, earth, uh, the pre-Christian festival on February 1 in the Celtic in the Celtic worlds before Christianity came to especially to the United Kingdom what we call the United Kingdom uh, that was also a day of celebration a day for fertility it was oftentimes considered the first day of spring um, today felt like the first day of spring until about eight o'clock when all of a sudden uh, it was like the last day of winter um, but it's a very sacred day in fact it's called the um, I'm gonna say it wrong I'm gonna try to say it Imolk the, the old name was the, the Imolk. Um, and, it's, and it's related to the idea of, of St. Bridget is, is related to the idea of she's the one who welcomes spring. It's, it's, she's the one whose spirit is transported to the Isle of Iona. And there, in a sacred moment, the, the, begins the greening of the earth. In fact, on the highest mountain, on the, on the tallest hill on the island of Iona, um, there is a well called the Well of Youth. Uh, the well of eternal youth. And it's said there that she dips her, her, her fingers and her toes in that well and then spreads that, that moisture into the air and spring is, is, is brought back again. Um, the, old, the older legend is fascinating. I want to put the next slide up here. The, the Hag of Winter. One more, go one more slide. The Hag of Winter is, is, is in ancient Celtic understanding, pre-Christian understanding, uh, is her name is Kaleech. I think I said it right. Kaleech. And it's Kaleech who is at the end of winter, makes her way over to Iona. Her spirit goes to Iona, and then she brings in, it's, it's when she goes to that, that sacred well and brings youth back, it begins spring again, and then she's transformed into Bridget. And you can see the way the artist here has has done uh, the, the transformation from, uh, and that, I don't call her a, the hag, that's what they call her in, uh, don't send me an email, send it to uh, Joanne Powell Colbert, uh, let, her, let her know. But it's, it's a fascinating myth, again, showing the, the, the you know, Celtic Christianity um, blending with this, this ancient, uh, ancient, ancient uh, myth. Um, all right. <clears throat> this is kind of fun. I'll, I'll read a section to you. Um, in connection with the, the Hag of Winter, this idea of, of the blending, um, you know, of, of moving from winter to, to spring, uh, she also, as a result of that, is considered the goddess of fertility. Because she's the goddess of fertility, she's also the goddess of cattle. 
and there's a deep connection between Bridget and cattle and milk and the making of milk or the making of cheese. Here's, here's, a, here's a bit of poetry from Ireland that you won't hear in church probably anytime soon. Uh, this is the introduction to the, to the um, poetry or the prayer or the chant. Her name has been invoked over the centuries in milking prayers, sung or chanted in rhythm with the action of milking. Here's how it goes. May, the, may there be essence in breast, substance in udder, butter and curd, fat and cheese. That will not be a text that you hear me preach on anytime soon. <laughs> then a portion of another invocation echoes the fourfold rhythm of milking the udder. The teat of Mary, the teat of Bridget, the teat of Michael, the teat of God. It's kind of a beautiful thing, in a way, to see the sacredness of, of the milking of the cow, providing uh, sustenance for, for, for us, for, for human beings. Um, but this is a quote from John Philip Newell. Um, we, don't, we don't experience a lot of teats in Western Christian uh, literature and, and, and worship. Yes, that's supposed to be a joke. Thank you. you. You can laugh. But it goes back, it harkens back to what I was talking about earlier about how afraid we are in the Western, not us we, but the larger we of the Christian church, how afraid we are of things like this that are natural and normal and part of human life. And we think we have to shun those things to the corner, or put them to the side, or, or close the door and turn down the lights, whatever it might be before we get into these conversations, when they're really a part of, of, of our faith life. How many of you have read the Song of Solomon ever? If you were in junior high with me, that's one of the first things we did was read the Song of Solomon. It is a glorious celebration of the beauty and power of sex, of a healthy sexual relationship between two persons who are deeply, madly in love. It's a beautiful text. I, I saw a friend's post on Facebook the other day who just got married, and they used a, a couple of lines from Solomon. I couldn't believe they did that in a, in, a, in, a, in a church service. But then I went, of course they should. It's a beautiful celebration of the relationship that they've discovered with each other, and, and why, why not use that? Um, uh, I was going to tell you a joke about our wedding, but I'll, I'll skip that one for now. Um, I, I like being married to Julie still. Oh, I, I was going to illustrate part of this the, this way. Um, well, I went to a little Bible college called Northwest Christian College. It's now known as Bushnell University in Eugene, Oregon. And they had some pretty strict rules when, when we were in school. You couldn't walk by the beer section in the grocery store. You'd get in trouble just for walking by it. Not really, but that's about how, how the strict the rules felt. Um, which, of course, what does that make you want to do? They tell you you can't have beer. We were the first ones to line up at the beer store to get beer. Um, we also couldn't have dances. Because if you have dances, the next thing you know, you're having babies, right? Isn't that how that works? So the way we got around it was three of my buddies from the, from the basketball team, John Dalby, Chuck Catter, and Mark Slater, um, their last name, they used their last names, Dalby, Slater, Catter, the DSK uh, stand-up concert. And, and we could, the Methodists, those crazy, wild, liberal Methodists across the street, would allow us to have a dance in their big hall like this. And so uh, uh, Dolby Slater and Catter would be the DJs for the night. They'd put together the, the list of songs, all of that stuff. We had two round table or two uh, turntables going. And, and, but it was so funny because our sophomore year, you know, we had posters up all over the building, and we made a big announcement that there's a, a stand-up concert tomorrow night at the Methodist Center across the street. It's going to be awesome. It's only 50 cents to get in. We'll have popcorn and music. We'll see you there. And there's a couple of freshman kids going, what's a stand-up concert? Why does it make any sense? Wait, we couldn't even say the word dance. And so can you imagine of the 300 kids in the lunch hall that day, who was the one who got up and told everybody what it was about? I, did, I just grabbed a mic and said, it's going to be a dance. This is so silly. We'll see you at the dance tomorrow night. Um, and we had a great time. It was super, it was super fun. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to lead to uh, inappropriate behavior. Again, that's, that's the Western church. Okay, one more, and then we'll have a minute or two for questions. Next one. Now the liminality between uh, the womb, uh, remember, the womb of the universe and, and birth. What, what uh, Bridget teaches is that Every child born carries and represents the marriage of heaven and earth, of spirit and matter, that every tiny human face that emerges from the womb is a reflection of the, the essence uh, of, the, of the universe. In, in, the, in the Hebrides Islands, which are off the northwest coast of Scotland, if you've been there, we've been to the Isle of Skye recently. Anybody been to the Isle of Skye? Go, go! It's amazing. It's unbelievable. 
in the Hebrides Islands, which are heavily influenced by St. Bridget, and they honor St. Bridget. In fact, Hebrides, her, the B-R-I-D-E in that, in that name, is Bridget's name. I think, uh, I think, I think the H-E part means of Bridget or something like that, but that's, that's named after her. In, in antiquity, 1,500 years ago, the tradition was in these one-room homes in the Hebrides Islands, most of the homes were one room, the wife would give birth at the threshold. Why? Can you, can you guess? It's a practical reason. <laughs> Easy to clean up. Of course, there would be that, yes? She could put her feet up on the threshold to push. And it was a place for her to push. But it also was part of that same that idea of, of not here and yet here. That same sacred liminality of wrestling. Newell believes, and I, I agree, that the universe is trying to do something new right now in our world, to give birth to something new, to, to bring back this understanding of the sacred feminine, to link the sacred feminine with the sacred masculine and see, those, see that link, see that intimacy uh, as, a, as a place where the, the spirit resides uh, and, and lives. Um, politically, culturally, culturally, or religiously, uh, they, we are feeling this, I mentioned this earlier, the, the thrashing, the fighting uh, that, that's going on. I'm, I'm certain, I'm certain that, that this wrestling is, is, are some of the last throws. I think the way racism has risen up and arisen in our, in our country, uh, I, I think the way that, that, that the ugliness of racism has become so powerful, so obvious, is because they're seeing, they're seeing that they're going to lose their power. That, that we are finally, finally, finally taking this on head on and naming it and claiming it and not letting it happen. And when you hold something down that doesn't want to be held down, what happens? They thrash and, thr and, and, and struggle and fight and try to keep that from happening. Um, but but uh, this is something uh, that uh, biblical teaching says has been going on since the beginning of time. Romans 8, 22. I'm just paraphrasing here, says that the whole universe, all of creation, groans with the pangs of birth. And the, the, the spirit intercedes for us with, with words, uh, with, with groans, uh, where words are, are impossible. The whole of creation is at groaning at all times for something new to be born. Uh, I just, I really got inspired studying studying uh, St. Saint Bridget and, and, and learning more about her. And, and you, you're probably going to hear some of these sermon some of these um, uh, illustrations and stories in a, in a sermon coming up. I'll probably leave the teeped out part, but um, who knows? Maybe. Maybe we'll do it. So next slide. Who was this beautiful wild woman? She's the sacred feminine, and the sacred feminine is reemerging today, inspiring us not to be frightened by labor pain but instead, in, instead to be willing to serve in a time of, of uh, fear and, and change. I'm not sure how that slide got up. Go one more slide. One more. So our prayer tonight to end, and I'll give you, a, you got about seven minutes or so for questions, if you've got any questions. Our prayer tonight, let's read it together. Bridget, Mary of the Gales, pray for us. Amen. All right, any, any questions that you ha might have for me? Yes, please. Hang on, hang on, hold it. I'm wondering if St. Bridget's teaching of the sacred feminine the, and the masculine aren't pretty much the same as Mary Magdalene in her gospel. Oh, interesting. I, I have, it's been a while since I read uh, Mary Magdalene's gospel, but that I, I don't know the answer to that question. I said a, a week ago that um, I don't know. I'm learning along, right along with you. I'll look that up. I'll try to find that out because that, that makes some sense. You know, um, in the column that I wrote today for the newsletter, um, I said something that if I'd done this in previous churches, I'd have gotten some notes. I said, Jesus goes to the home of two of his disciples, Mary and Martha. Um, I fully believe they were, they were disciples every bit as much as, as Peter, James, and John. They just didn't get included in, this, in the circle because it's a bunch of men writing the stories. Um, and Mary Magdalene is often identified that way. By the way, there's zero evidence uh, that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. There's like nothing that suggests she was a prostitute. There is a prostitute who bathes Jesus' feet with her hair and some oil. And tradition says that's Mary Magdalene. There's, no, we have no idea who she was. Sometimes 
old white theologians sit around and make up stuff that um, they shouldn't. And I'm an old white theologian, Ed. Hang, hang on. One, it would be possible to go back a few slides to the one that talked about tradition of uh, with the world and, and how she tried to meld the two or something? Do you okay, recall sure. that? I, I, I think so, yeah. So, um, uh, media folks, can we go back to this slide where there's a quote from John Philip Newell? In fact, it was just up there a minute ago. Is that the one you were talking about? It's, uh, yeah, there it is. Is that it, Ed? We live in a threshold moment. Where, oh, keep, keep going. Keep going back. Keep going. Okay, St. Bridget is a model for us of standing in the doorway between the wisdom of our spiritual tradition and the wisdom of traditions that have gone before or alongside us. So my question is, and if you have any thoughts on this, you know, there's this idea, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna just be clear, I, I'm in favor of this idea. Yeah. However, on the other hand, there's syncretism, yeah. right, which is, uh, from what I understand, tr the attempt to uh, put together two things that seem irreconcilable. You know, in my tradition, syncretism was, you know, get away from that, right? So even the thoughts about is, is the idea of syncretism as something we should oppose a real thing, or is that bogus and we should just go with this? That's a, that's a really good question. That's, that's a really hard question, so I think we should close. Um, <laughs> the, the, the key, I think, Ed, to, did everybody hear this question okay? The, the key is, uh, is that syncretism is really just sort of glomming things on together and, and ending up with something that means nothing. Um, I, I think learning from another religion and, uh, or wisdom tradition and, and seeing how that can be incorporated in our own faith or how it, how it illuminates our faith um, is appropriate and can, can be done when, when, done, when done well. Um, sometimes I get a little worried, and this might be to your question, um, when it seems like our tradition is a mile wide and an inch deep, uh, that, that we just, oh, sure, everything's fine. Um, it's okay for me and my uh, um, Muslim imam friend, uh, Ahmed, and, and my rabbi Jewish friend, um, uh, Art uh, Nemetov, it's okay for the three of us to disagree about things and, and to, to find commonalities and also be clear about our disagreements and, and trying to blend those things together and saying, oh, none of it really matters, it's okay, it's, we gotta be careful about that. But think about this, Christianity is a religion that evolved from Judaism. And, and much of what Jesus does is say, will say, you've heard it said before, but now I say to you. Um, some of those kinds of things are, are passed forward. Paul has a huge fight with the church in Galatia, I think it's Galatia, uh, over circumcision. And you, you know, they're, they're saying everybody has to do, be circumcised, and Paul's saying, no, in this new understanding in Jesus, we, we don't have to do that. Um, so even our own tradition, we've, we've practiced some of that. And in fact, if you look at the early church, the first uh, 400 years, well, the first 300 years before Augustine comes along, along the idea of original sin did not exist. Uh, the Eastern church went that way opposite from Augustine, and the Western church really be, uh, adopted uh, original sin. So I, I think, I think we, we want to be careful. We don't want to just uh, glom a bunch of stuff together. I mean, there's a, there's a Star Wars church out there that's that's taken Star Wars theology and made it and, and blended it with Christianity, and that's just goofy. Um, I mean, they're not going to hell or anything, but it's just it's just goofy. Yeah. Thank you. It was a really good question. And there's probably a lot more to say to that too, for sure. Got time for one more. All right, go back to that last slide one more time. Let's say it together again. Bridget, Mary of the Gales, pray for us. Amen. Good night.